พุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามะสัง
these Jews. Well, it might be better, but then it's so difficult to let go of Jews. Why is it so difficult? Because there's a very strong sense of self is affirmed by holding to views. It's something we've done for a very long time. Clinging is something we started doing when we were children, learning to walk. We were clinging to mummy and daddy's hands and, and stopped us from falling over and clinging to my toys and it gave the emerging sense of self some sort of strength. And, and if it's not pointed out to us that this is a limited way of living, then we could spend our whole life doing that. And this is indeed the, what the Buddha was pointing out, that there is an alternative. It's the way of, of awareness, the way of what he referred to as the middle way, the way of clear seeing, and is something that he encouraged us to contemplate and, and to cultivate. And part of the cultivation is a willingness to, to dare to let go of that which we're familiar with, just because it feels familiar doesn't mean to say it's right. Just because we get a certain sort of a sense of stability by clinging to a fixed position doesn't mean to say that it's right. However, let's not underestimate how tricky it can be, this task of letting go of our habits of clinging. Now, those things with which we are so familiar and and give a level of certainty. Not thoroughly satisfying, for sure, because we're all struggling. So clearly, clinging to these fixed positions has not been satisfactory. However, letting go can be really challenging. And, and herein lies one of the reasons why the Buddha uh, was so insistent or so uh, clear in his encouragement to find spiritual companions, good friends, really good friends, friends that really help us. And as I've often commented before in the, in the Mahamangala Sutta, the Discourse on Greatest Blessings, it starts out with talking about avoid the company of those who are going to drag you down and associate with those who are going to lift you up. So it's already difficult to see beyond our conditioned habits, our conditions of heedless reaction to life and taking sides for and against that's already difficult, the last thing we need is to be surrounded by people who are just going to affirm those old habits and encourage those old habits Our really good friends are those who help us to not return to old habits of clinging, old habits of trying to find security in following that which is familiar which what that amounts to is basically a getting my own way, that's, that's what I really like. I really like getting my own way, and I don't like not getting my own way. However, is it possible to live in community? Is it possible to live in this world with other people who have different preferences and always get our own way? No way, it's not possible. So part of our, one of the great tasks in life is learning how to see through the delusion of this apparently convincing story of I will be happy when I get my way. It's an understandable story for children to believe in because you know, none of us were born with an individuated sense of self. We're born with awareness, we're born with consciousness, but we're not born with a sense of self 
takes quite a long time to develop one and as the child starts to see this emerging sense of self well gradually believe in it more and more in this sense of my way I will be happy when I get my way it's okay that children believe that however in society we know that children cannot be trusted to make responsible decisions their views are very partial are very insistent on getting their own way and on some level anyway we all understand that that's just that's just not a a wise or responsible way to live. So how do we encourage ourselves, how do we support each other to be freed from the addiction to having to get our own way? Well, this was traditionally part of the role of conventional religion. It's what religion used to do up until very recently in human evolution and, and the, for instance the, the Christian religion there would be hymns that were being sung and prayers that were being recited were aiming at educating the sense of self that it's only relatively important it's not ultimately important children think that ultimately important they have this emerging sense of self mine, I is ultimately important I want this and they when they can't get it then they stamp their feet and they cry and they get very upset and so once again one of the great tasks in life is how to see that my way and my wishes are only relatively important and part of the role of religion used to be to educate us with regards to the relative importance of, of getting our own way and so learning how to let go of my way and how to cooperate is you know, a task that all human beings need to learn. In Buddhism, this is partly what's behind where when we say, I go for refuge to the Buddha, I go for refuge to the Dhamma, I go for refuge to the Sangha, and I bow down in the process, lowering the body in front of that which symbolizes perfect wisdom and perfect compassion. And with the potential benefit of this I coming to appreciate that is not ultimately important. It wasn't there in the beginning and when we die it will disintegrate. It won't be there in the end. And in the meantime we need to we need to have a wise, skillful perspective on it. And so cultivating faith in the Buddha means cultivating the faith that when all unawareness has been dealt with what remains is perfect wisdom and compassion we don't know that but we can choose to hold that view lightly cling to it and you end up having religious wars holding it lightly then it can give rise and, and nourish a sense of faith and faith has got energy so having faith in the Buddha, having faith in the Dhamma, faith in the Dhamma can mean that there is something that can be done about this apparent chaos. There is order within this apparent chaos. There's work to be done. There's understanding to be cultivated. There's a, a new perspective 
with which we can educate ourselves. Last week or a couple of weeks ago, I, I spoke about how we can usefully educate ourselves with regards to the different levels of intensity of dukkha or suffering. Suffering comes in all sorts of forms. Sometimes it's a mediocre level of suffering, which we can just turn away from, ignore it, and which I was referring to as cutting through. And then there's a, a more intense level of, of dukkha or suffering, which requires turning towards and looking at it and investigating and questioning it. What's going on here? Where did this come from? Before letting go can happen, which I referred to as seeing through. And then there's a third level, which I referred to as burning through, which, which might be so complex, so intense, that at the time, the best we can do is willingly endure, bear with it, even when it feels unbearable. This is something we can do. This is practicing Dhamma. Or also, the questioning the kind of dukkha that we're experiencing, the kind of suffering that we're experiencing. Is this suffering that we're generating now? Is this like somebody says something you know, unkind to us and dismissive and, and right there and then we just feel dislike at this unpleasant comment and then we indulge in the dislike and that's present generated dukkha. We're doing that right here and now. That's what that sort of dukkha is. But then there's another sort of dukkha where somebody says something and it triggers dukkha from the past, maybe many years ago, maybe very many years ago. Dukkha or suffering that we experienced perhaps when we were young and not ready or not able to really meet. It happens to all of us to some degree in our early life and and if we don't meet it, then it gets stored within the system. So, old unmet dukkha, that's different. That's not present generated dukkha. That's you know, old unmet dukkha. We need to use different approaches. Or what we could call adopted dukkha, where again, in our early life, if we're living with people who are carrying their burden of unmet dukkha around with them, and we're vulnerable, and, and we have our own sensitivities, there's a a certain sort of resonance can get struck up whereby we, it's almost as if we assimilate their suffering. Not necessarily really going and doing anything dramatically wrong, but just by close association with somebody else. And we can pick up on their suffering and assimilate it and take it on and, and spend years carrying the suffering around that was something we picked up very early on in life which so the thing referred to as as adopted dukkha so with the present generated or old unmet dukkha or adopted dukkha these different levels or different qualities of suffering studying this getting interested in this is what we can do sometimes if life really gives us an intense challenge it can be a blessing because it makes us stop and question what's, what's really going on here. Mm. Some people just move through their life without really questioning hardly anything. And, and then when they get old, they fall apart and die in misery. Very sad, very regrettable. And so to be challenged by life and to find ourselves asking deep questions can really be a blessing. 
doesn't have to be a curse. It can really be a blessing, it can motivate us to, to look more deeply beyond the way things merely appear to be. What's really going on here? So, faith in Dhamma is faith that there is something we can do about unawareness. We're not victims. Faith in Sangha, the third of these three principles, these three objects of refuge that around which we orient our lives as Buddhists. Faith in Sangha is faith that there's flesh and blood, walking, talking human beings. There have been such beings who realize these teachings of the Buddha for themselves. So one of the reasons I would suggest that there's so much confusion and intense chaos in our world at the moment is because the old ways of informing human beings, the old ways of educating the sense of self with regards to its relative importance, are not really doing the job anymore. People are not protected from their fear of uncertainty. It used to be that, as I'm saying, people would attend their place of worship on a regular basis and mm, sing and chant and perform rituals, which, which generated a sense of relationship with that which was inherently stable. There was a belief in an unchanging reality. Mm. Relative as that understanding was, it still provided some sort of sense of security. And, and if that's not there, what's left behind is what's left behind is my way, not my relationship with with my family, with my community, with the nation I'm living in, with the divine. It's not my relationship with the Almighty. It's my relationship with my ego, with my personality. I was reflecting recently how I, the time I noticed after having been in monasteries for quite a few years, I can't remember exactly when it was, maybe it was the 80s, I'd been in Thailand for a few years and hadn't seen television for quite a long while and certainly hadn't seen very much and at one stage, I started noticing how these days news broadcasters always introduce themselves by their name. Hello, I am John Smith, and this is this evening news. And so, why are people introducing them by their name? I mean, that's not the news. And what became apparent is that somewhere around that time, what manifest was the personality, the sense of self, had been elevated. The sense of self had become much more the source of identity, the source of security. But is it a, a sure sense of security? The ego, the personality. It's fabricated, it's constructed. It's put together and it can fall apart. And besides the what goes on in or what used to go on in places of worship, there's also what's been happening in the field of science. And, and technology and the tremendous amount of power that comes with a scientific education. However, if you teach children to question everything for five days of the week, and then one day of the week you tell them they're supposed to unquestionably believe something, well, 
So chance that's not going to work. So it's not like it's not like in the last few decades everybody's suddenly become very evil. It's just the unexpected consequences of the development of science and technology, and also coming to recognise the the limitations of religious belief systems. Religious belief systems, yes, they did offer some sort of relative sense of security. However, they clearly didn't give enough security because these days people are really confused. So what's the answer? Well, part of the answer is this, as I was suggesting, that what the Buddha is encouraging, not just believing, developing our spiritual faculties so as to be able to really investigate for ourselves. What is it an obligation to take sides for and against the moods that we feel? Like the feeling of pleasure. If it hasn't been pointed out to us that there's a danger in that, then yes, of course, it can feel good and we assume that it's okay to attach to pleasant feelings. What we don't realise though is that when we attach to pleasant feelings, that when unpleasant feelings come along, we're not going to do anything other than attached to the unpleasant feelings. Say, well, I want to just attach to pleasant feelings, but I want to let go of unpleasant feelings. It's like saying, I want to lift up the back of my hand, but I don't lift up the front of my hand. It can't work. Lifting up the back of the hand, lifting up the front of the hand, they come up at the same time. Attaching to feelings is attaching to pleasant and painful feelings. And this hasn't been pointed out to us. Maybe we don't notice it. Fortunately, it has been pointed out to us. The Buddha pointed out that this habit of attachment is not just saying that it's, it's wrong or it's bad or we shouldn't do it. It's just saying that this is the cause, there's the cause, and this is the effect. And so, hopefully, well, I hope that maybe science will eventually come around to investigating the laws of consciousness. Actually start to investigate the dynamics of consciousness and start to see that there, that there are laws on that level. Just as there's law, laws in the material world, there are also laws in the, the realm of consciousness. Like, for instance, the law of the middle way. That if we habitually follow likes and dislikes, then there is no possibility of peace. We're just going to endlessly be struggling. And again, it's not like the Buddha's not saying this is bad, you shouldn't do it if you're a good person, nothing like that. It's just saying that if we do that, then there is no peace. And very little possibility of harmony and, and concord. However, there is this other alternative, the middle way, the way of cultivating awareness, cultivating our spiritual faculties, disciplining attention, attending to the heart sensitivity and the possibility of really making a difference inwardly in our inner worlds and in the outer worlds. So, so of course, talking about disciplining attention can be quite off-putting. And, however, again, if we look beyond the way that might appear or the way it might sound. It was no different from if you want to be a really good tennis player. If you want to be a really good tennis player, you've got to spend hours and hours hitting a ball across a net or hitting a ball up against a wall. You've got hours doing it. You've got to be really skilled 
and you're not going to develop the skill without putting the time in. Or, or if you want to be a really good writer, again, you're just going to, you've got to be exercising the discipline. And whether you want or not, you've got to put the hours in, you put the time in, you write and you write and you write. And, or if you want to be a good coder, computer coder, again, you've got to put hours and hours in, in front of your monitor and, and gradually internalizing the principles, internalizing the medium. And then when we internalize it, well, then there's a, it sort of like becomes ours, and then you can get really creative. Well, so it is with the inner work. If we want to understand the, the real causes of suffering, like as Buddha pointing out in this Dhamma Chakra Sutta, the real causes of suffering is taking sides, taking sides for and against. Not just feeling preferences. Feeling preferences is one thing. It's perfectly normal. So long as we're alive, we're going to feel preferences, unless you're in some sort of samadhi, maybe. Generally, everybody's got preferences. However, only children believe that they're entitled to get their preferences fulfilled all the time. As we grow up, one of our great tasks is to learn how to see that my preferences are only relatively important. So what does all of this have to do with living a meaningful life? Well, if we don't train our spiritual faculties, we don't exercise the capacity for, for faith, not mere blind belief, but real faith, skillful, careful capacity for trusting, trusting in true principles, choosing to trust in true principles. Exercising the spiritual faculty of energy, learning how to generate energy and sustain energy. Exercising the spiritual faculty of mindfulness or balanced attention. Exercising the spiritual faculty of collectedness. Exercising the spiritual faculty of discernment. These five spiritual faculties that Buddha talked about, if we don't invest in them and we're out of balance, then it's highly questionable whether we're going to be able to do the work that we need to do. And we can really hurt ourselves as well. And we do hurt ourselves by going out of balance. And it's not because necessarily we've been badly treated or the, the world is terrible or it's just we haven't exercised these potentials that we have and, or we've developed an imbalanced way. I can remember quite some years ago when I was visiting family back in New Zealand and I went to visit an uncle of mine. He's the son of a Baptist preacher and he played the organ in church and very committed Christian and, and definitely loved the Lord Jesus and lots of energy. However, I, I, when I went to see him, he was stuck in a, in a wheelchair or in a chair. He, he had a stroke, a massive stroke. and He wasn't that old and had a massive stroke and spent the rest of his life seriously disabled and and a great effort he was able to explain to me how there was this piece of organ music that he just couldn't get right and he was trying and trying and trying to get it right and tried so hard that he ended up bursting a blood vessel. So too much energy is not it. Too much stillness is not it. Too much faith, blind faith is not it. All of these spiritual faculties, if we again look beyond the way they merely appear to be and really educate ourselves. What is the benefit? What is the potential? What is the risk? So, 
So not merely assuming because there's so much chaos in the world and, and so much difficulty and, and a lot of people vociferously complaining about things that anything is inherently wrong. We can catastrophize the situation and say that it shouldn't be this way. Well, that's, that's, that's too simple. From the Buddha's perspective, there's a cause and there's an effect. And the cause is clinging, not seeing clearly. When we cling, then we obscure intelligence. And we hold too tightly. Holding's fine. We need to hold. You don't hold a cup of tea, you can't drink the tea. If you hold it too tightly, you can break it. So how do we hold in the right way? Well, this is again learning to exercise the spiritual faculties in the body, in the mind, in the heart, learning to hold skillfully so that when a situation arises and the truth is we just don't know, you know should we chant the Jamachaka Sutta or should we chant the Adita Pariyaya Sutta? I said, well, I don't know. Or something more tricky, you know, like climate change. and Having to take a position on it, you see what happens when those who support concern for climate change and those who support the climate change deniers, they just they feed off each other's fixed positions. How about training our awareness to be able to own up and just say, well, I don't know. I care. It does take, it takes intense enthusiasm and interest to, to um, generate the energy to, to see beyond the way things merely appear to be. However, enthusiastic interest is not the same thing as clinging to a fixed position, or it doesn't have to be. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Pandamayang Dhamma Gathaya Sadhu Karang